we're going to be uh, studying there today. And as we um, are praying together today, I thought it would be uh, important for us to consider the question of why do we pray? Why do we pray? And this is a question that I think everyone has to come to terms with at some point in their life. For me, it was early as a Christian. I really struggled with why should I pray? And my thinking went something like this. If God is really all-knowing and all-powerful and created the world with His Word, then what does my praying have to do with anything? How can that be important? Isn't God going to do what He is going to do whether I pray to Him or not? It's a very fatalistic view of the world that I had, and so I didn't understand prayer or how it fit into that. And I don't know if that's the way that you have struggled with prayer or not, but I know that each of us in this room has both had to come, has both had to, come to terms with prayer and continues to struggle with prayer. In fact, I think it's one of those things in Christianity that most of us feel guilty about most of the time because, gosh, we just don't pray like we should. We just don't pray like we should or like we want to and we disappoint ourselves and that makes us feel guilty and ashamed. And so I think today the question of why do we pray is an important one. It's going to be relevant for us. To do that, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. It's actually recorded two places in the New Testament, one in Luke chapter 6 and the other in, excuse me, Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 6. Um, we're going to be in Matthew. And it really, I think, would be better called the Lord's model prayer or the Lord's example prayer because this is Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. And so if you are in that place where you don't know what, don't even know how to pray, or you feel guilty about your prayer, or you feel like your prayer life has stalled, or you feel like it's non-existent, then listen up because Jesus is going to teach you how to pray. I think this is one of the things in discipleship that we are terrible at. When you first became a Christian, did anybody sit you down and say, this is how you pray? Let me tell you how to do that. Did anybody sit you down in your community group and say, you know what? You've only been a Christian for a few years. How are you thinking about prayer? We are terrible at it. And so this is a great time to realize that Jesus had to teach his disciples how to pray too. And so wherever you are in your journey with prayer, listen to the words of our Lord. Now, before we jump in, I just want to say a few more things. The first is this. This is one of those verses that everybody knows and everybody's familiar with. And if you're like me, I'm all the way to deciding whether I'm supposed to say debtors or trespasses before I'm really paying attention when I pray. So we're going to say debts today. Let's just get that out of the way, okay? No more question about that. But this is a prayer that as I learn about it, the more and more I love it because the truth of the gospel comes out of it and the truth of how to pray comes out of it. So this is a great opportunity for us to listen to what Jesus has to say. If you will stand with me in honor of God's word, I'm going to read to us from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, 
and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. So we could probably spend the next two hours walking through these verses and thinking about all that it has to say and answering all of your questions. Uh, we're not going to do that today. I might give you one just as a, like a little taste if you want to talk more about it later. You may have noticed that um, in this version and the version in Luke, it doesn't say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Uh, that was actually added later. It's a quotation from Second Chronicles. Uh, so it's scripture that we pray. It just doesn't happen to be scripture from uh, Matthew chapter 6. And so it's, uh, most people think it was added when the prayer started to be used in uh, public settings. So that was sort of a Maybe you didn't know that, a little fun fact. But um, instead of answering questions like that, we're probably going to spend, oh, the next 15 or 20 minutes thinking about why we should pray. And there are three reasons that I've listed for us. The first is that we pray because it refocuses our hearts on God. The second is that we pray because it reminds us of what God is like and that we need Him. And the third is we pray because it's where faith and spiritual growth happen. So the first, we pray because it refocuses our hearts and our minds on God. You know, I have this amazing ability to stop thinking about God really quickly. As I go through my life, I tend to focus on myself. I can have a great prayer time. I can have a great quiet time, a great reading of the Bible. And 10 minutes later, I've forgotten entirely what I read. And I'm thinking about what I have to do at work or the fact that my kids are screaming. And my day has already been unfocused on God and focused back on myself. You know, I think it's kind of like taking a picture with a manual camera, you know, the one you have to like put your eye to the viewfinder with and then adjust the focus manually. For me, my uh, picture tends to be focused on myself really quickly and God kind of gets blurry. And the longer I go without praying, the further God moves out of the picture till I sort of cut him out entirely. What prayer does for me is it focuses that camera, that picture right back on God. It moves my attention off of me and onto Jesus, onto God. And, and I see this here in this passage by the examples that Jesus gives at the beginning. He gives us two warnings. He says, don't pray like this. And then he says, but pray like this. And in those two pictures of how not to pray, I think we see this idea of focusing on God. So let me show you. In verse 5 it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So what this is talking about is people who pray because they want to receive honor from other people. They want to be revered. They want to be admired for their churchiness, right? They want people to say, look how holy that person is. Aren't they wonderful and glorious? 
If you've been around church for a while, that's an easy thing to do, isn't it? To have a really terrible day and to show up to small group or show up to church and say all the right things and pray even if all the words that you've heard people say for a long time and just put up this show of I'm in a good place right now. Look at me. I'm a Christian. I'm not suffering. That is a look at me prayer. Look at me. I'm a holy person. The second thing he warns us against is in verse 7. It says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. I love that. Empty phrases in prayer. And and to really get at what he's meaning, I think we need to go to verse 8. It says, don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He's saying, pray like your father knows what you need. Don't pray like these people who heap up empty phrases. I think what Jesus is getting at here is sort of, if I do the right things, then I will get what I want. Did you hear how many times I said I in that sentence? If I do the right things, then I will get what I want. If I say exactly the right words or do exactly the right dance, if I say enough words in the right way, then I'm going to get what I want. That what I want. These folks are praying like they know what's best for them. And their job is to earn the blessing that comes from God by doing the right things that they pray. It's almost like a math equation kind of prayer. Two plus two equals four. If I do this, then I get the blessing that I think is best for me. I want to say it's not talking about a sustained approach to prayer. That's not what it's talking about. In fact, all throughout the Bible, Jesus encourages us to pray routinely, regularly, in a dedicated and sustained way about things for years. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about praying things like an like gimme what I want prayer. This is a gimme gimme prayer, isn't it? And man, I'm, I say those a lot. So Jesus begins the section of the Lord's Prayer by giving us two warnings about not praying in a certain way. He says, don't pray in an intensely self-focused way. Look at me. Give me what I want. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That should stop you in your tracks. And the camera lens of your prayer should be immediately focused on who God is. It's an entirely not selfish way of praying. Our Father in heaven. And so the first point of prayer is that it refocuses us off of ourselves and onto God. Now the second point really is the same uh, point, just coming at it from a different angle. And it's that prayer reminds us what God is like. It helps us to meditate on what he's like, and it reminds us that we need him. So the nature of the relationship that God, excuse me, that Jesus explains is very clear. He says, our Father in heaven. I don't know if that's a new thing to you or something you're sort of tired of hearing or something you sort of just repeat in a sort of abstract way. But the truth is, when you are a follower of Jesus, God is your father and you are his adopted child. I'm also not sure where that sits emotionally with you because 
So many of us have different relationships with our earthly fathers. Some of us cherish that relationship, and so it's sort of easy for us to connect emotionally with the idea of a loving father. But others hate those relationships. Others have been abandoned by their fathers and so can't really know what it's like to have a a father who loves you. And others have been abused by their fathers and so hate them. Whatever your relationship is like with your father, surely you've experienced some brokenness, some way that you wish it was better, some way that you see the love is imperfect. And so that's dangerous when we think about that image of what a father is and project that onto who God is and how we relate to him as our father. And so it's important for us for a minute to consider what Jesus means when he says, Father in heaven. Fatherly love in the Bible is compassionate. Fatherly love in the Bible is unconditional. Fatherly love in the Bible is full of provision and protection. I love this verse. I already mentioned it. Verse 8. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Can you imagine a father who knows you so well and so deeply that he knows what you need better than you know what you need for yourself? Oh, I want that kind of a father. Look at what we ask him in the rest of our prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. God, provide for me. Give me what I need. Oh God, give me only enough for today and that will be enough Just like the Israelites, when you gave them manna from heaven, God, will you remember me? Give me what I need, my gracious provider. Then we say, forgive us our debts. Talking about sin here. A prayer for the restoration of the personal fellowship that you have with your father that's tarnished and blocked by sin. Father, I have disobeyed you. I have dishonored you. Will you please forgive me? Then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a prayer for protection, for protection from ourselves. Oh God, protect me from my sin. Protect my heart from the guilt and the shame, from falling away from you. I've tried. I've tried to be perfect. I've tried to remember who I'm supposed to be, but I am ashamed and I am depressed and I am weak. God, deliver me from this. You are my Father, and you know which way is best for me. God, protect me from my sin. Don't lead me over there. God, it's scary. It's dangerous. Lead me where you know is safe, God. Deliver me from evil. Fatherly love is all about provision. It's all about giving us what we need. And it's compassionate. But don't forget that fatherly love is also intensely personal in the Bible. It's not an abstract address of a God who's far away from us. You know, God is many things. He is the judge. He is the king. But one of the beautiful aspects of our relationship with God is that we understand him as our father. There's authority and provision, but also warmth and intimacy. This is distinctly Christian. I don't know if you know that or not. 
It is distinctly Christian to view God as a father. Most other religions view this as a totally irreverent thing to say of the God of the universe, that he would ever condescend to have a personal relationship with you. Why should he? He is the perfect God, and you are nothing. Well, Christianity teaches that that's true too. You are nothing, and he is everything. But he loves you enough to come and be in a personal relationship with you like a father and a child. And so when Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, that should refocus your intention entirely on who God is and what he's like. It's a beautiful thing. But the other part of this statement, God, you are my father, is God, I am your child. It's an admission. It's an admission that we need God. It's an admission that we have to depend on him in a childlike way because we can't depend on ourselves. God, I need you to love me. I need you to protect me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to provide for me. Because without you, I'm lost. Without you, I am like an abandoned child. A lot of times when we pray, or really actually when we don't pray, I think, we're saying, I can do it by myself. I can run away from home and be out on my own. Father, I don't really need you to protect me. God shifts just a little further out of the frame. I don't need forgiveness because if I just do enough good, then that's going to outweigh the bad, and I don't need you, Father. He gets a little blurrier. I can keep myself from being tempted. I don't need you. I just need to work a little harder. And now God is out of that picture entirely. So when we pray, our Father in heaven, protect me, provide for me, forgive me, you and I are acknowledging a dependence on our Father to give us what we need. We are acknowledging a dependence on a Father who knows what we need before we ask. And I'm going to say that this helpless, childlike dependence is enormously freeing. I don't know if you've, if you've ever thought about that before. If it seems strange to you, we're so independent and I can do anything and pull myself up by my bootstraps mentality. But depending on God for what you need is enormously freeing because you're not depending on me, thankfully. You're not depending on yourself and you're not depending on your spouse who lets you down. You're not depending on your earthly parents who let you down. You are depending on God, your heavenly Father, who will never let you down to give you what you need. And when your provision and your protection and your forgiveness don't depend on you anymore, that is incredibly good news because you can no longer screw it up. So if you are considering Christianity for the first time today or it's something that you've been struggling with lately, this is the good news of the gospel. Jesus came and died for you so that your forgiveness doesn't depend on you anymore. And if you have been a Christian for a long time and are feeling desperate 
or lonely or dry, then this is the good news of the gospel. It doesn't depend on you. And it doesn't depend on me. It depends on God, your Father, so depend on Him. And what Jesus is saying is depend on Him in prayer. Father, I am your child, and you are my God. Now, what I mean when I say this is where faith happens, that's what I want to talk about. We pray because it's where faith happens. And I want to look in verse 10. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you're not careful, you're already to heaven by the time you've thought about what you're saying and you've missed it. You've missed your will be done. I don't know if that strikes you as remarkable or not, but it is a prayer of faith. Your will, Father, not mine. It is the ultimate prayer of submission and dependence. Let me tell you about my last five years. I lost a friend to cancer. And his wife and child now are waiting to see him in heaven. My dad died earlier than he should have. I've seen friends' marriages break up and others that have come to the edge. I've seen a family torn apart by false accusations. I've seen friends have miscarriages. I've had more than one friend have multiple miscarriages. I've seen a family walk through the death of their unborn child because she had a heart condition that we couldn't fix. I've seen people struggle with abuse, with neglect, with depression. It is not supposed to be like that. God says it's not supposed to be like that, and how am I supposed to look at that and say, your will be done? How can you do that? Friends, it is a prayer of faith. And so I only have two. I don't know how to do that. I'm just going to tell you straight up, okay? But here's where, I'm, here's where I am. There's two ways that you have any chance. The first is you've got to think of Jesus. You've got to realize that Jesus prays this prayer before he dies. He sits in the garden and he says, Father, is there any way that I don't have to die? And if there's not, then your will be done. And he gets up and he walks into the most humiliating and terrible death that you and I could ever imagine. And honestly, that gives me comfort to know that Jesus went through it too and to know that he is risen from the dead and waiting in a time when it won't be like this anymore. So I'm not alone when I pray your will be done, and that gives me hope. And then the second thing is, honestly, you just have to pray. Because I don't ever start with your will be done. I start with, God, why have you forsaken me? I start with, God, how can it be like this? How can you have left us to this? I don't understand And I tell you what, when you are at the feet of God calling him names, it is entirely different than when you're calling him names and not praying to him. And when you are at the feet of God saying, God, you are my father and I don't believe it right now. God, you are my father. Help me to believe. Help me in my unbelief. God, your will is better than mine. That's your only hope of getting there. It's your only hope to do it in prayer, to struggle and wrestle and just say, God, I don't know but your will is better than mine, so let it be done.
because I'm your child. And I don't know what else to do but trust you. Because if I'm on my own, then I have no hope at all. But if you are for me, if what the Bible says is true, then I have something to hang on to. Even if it's just by my fingernails, I have something to hang on to. So God, your will be done. Prayer isn't about getting what you want. And it isn't about looking good in front of other people. Prayer is about getting what you need. Prayer is about fixing your relationship with your Father. It's about sending down deep roots of faith so that you can be planted by a stream of water so that when the desert comes, you will still flourish. And I just have to tell you, this is where my faith has grown the most. People, a lot, talk about wanting to go back to that time when they were first believers. Like remembering this time when you have this emotional high, this connection with the truth of who God is. And this is a good thing because you have seen the light and you were once in darkness and now you are transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son and that should bring you joy. But everybody that I have ever spoken to says that that feeling, that emotional sense of joy fades. And we want to go back there. I don't think that's right. I don't think we want to go back there. I think we want to move forward into a deeper relationship with God, one that's built on trust and experience where you can see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life so that when the suffering comes, you can say, God, I know you are faithful. I've seen it. One where I look around at you people right now and I just remember the times that God has been faithful in your lives and I can say, God, I need that. So if you're longing for that emotional connection again, that passion that you think represents the pinnacle of Christianity, I'm here to tell you you can find it. But the place you're going to find it is in prayer the place you're going to find it is digging deep with God and wrestling and saying, your will, Father, not mine. And that is a relationship, I think, that takes a lifetime. So my encouragement, I don't know if that was very encouraging or not, <laughs> um, other than to say, when I pray is when I feel peace. When I can sit and say, oh, Father, your will be done. Protect me, deliver me. That's when I feel the emotional connection that I want to. So my last encouragement this morning is really simple. Pray. Don't be afraid of it. If you're somebody who doesn't know how to pray, pray this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Don't pass over. Your will be done. If you're somebody who doesn't know how to pray, come talk to me. I'll pray with you. If you're somebody who hasn't prayed in a while, just start praying again. You don't know what to pray? Pray this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Just stop at thy will be done. That's okay. Sit there for a while. 
think that prayer is something that you will come to terms with as you walk through your Christian faith. And I asked the wrong question at the beginning. I said, what does it matter if I pray? How will it change what God does? That's the wrong question. My question is, how will prayer change me? How will prayer change me? It changes me by focusing my mind, which is so fleeting, on God. It changes me by reminding me that I am God's adopted child and nothing will ever separate me from his love. And it changes me because it's where I wrestle with the fact that I'm waiting for him to come again. So as we conclude this morning, I actually couldn't think of a better way to end than to pray together. And so I just want to pray the Lord's Prayer with you. It's simple, it's beautiful, and it's how Jesus teaches us to pray. We printed it for you because there's lots of different versions, so I don't want you worrying about that. Take a look at it and pray with me now. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of
Since God has been gracious enough to allow us to approach him as a father approaches, or as a son approaches his father, will you join me as we pray for 2014? God, if Trinity Church is to do any work that grows your kingdom, that makes your children stronger, that improves our knowledge of you and our love for you, 